Welcome in. It's the Holy Grail BCJ podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel. Dave Simone is not here tonight. Dave Simone is actually at the uh, Dave Chappelle show. So he's, he's getting the preview of the, the documentary that's about to come out. And uh, a little Chappelle and friends tonight down at, where's it? It's at Heritage Bank, right? It's in the, it's in the big arena. So yep. Dave, Dave is out having fun tonight. So I've got a fill-in, a guest host, none other than our good friend from The Athletic, Justin Williams. Hi, Justin. Uh, how are you, Chad? I'm, I'm honored to be here as always. That didn't sound very convincing. Well, I'm honored to be here, especially because Marcus is here, but I'm still always honored to be here. Right. We, we do have, in our opening segment, a special guest tonight, none other than former North Carolina Tar Heel, Marcus Ginyard. Marcus was able to uh, attend the Bearcats game on Saturday to see his good friend Wes Miller in his second game as the head coach of the Cincinnati Bearcats. And uh, I had a chance to connect with Marcus See if you wanted to come on the show and, and tell us all the good, juicy stories about Wes Miller from when he was uh, a cocky college student at North Carolina. But uh, thanks, Marcus. Appreciate you joining us, brother. All right, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for having me. Let, let's get it started. This was uh, your first chance because you've been uh, going through your playing career. You did not get to see Wes coach any at UNC Greensboro. This was your first opportunity to see your friend on the sidelines as a head coach. Uh, what, what were your takeaways? What'd you think? Man, Chad, it was, uh, it was amazing. And, and like you said, it was just such a, such a great experience to finally get a chance to, to see him coaching. And it, it was even more special to see him coaching now at this new position that, that he's taking at the University of Cincinnati. Um, I just know how excited he was uh, for this new opportunity. Uh, uh, you know, obviously hearing all and seeing all the things that, that everybody has to say about him being a, a young coach and a great young coach at that. So um, I was just excited, first and foremost, to, to support my brother. But, um, you know, to see him, you know, taking these steps, you know, becoming, you know, what I believe to be a, an elite college basketball coach. Um, I was just super, super thrilled to, to have a chance to see him live in action and, um, and to see him get a big win and to see him get his second win. You know, it wasn't his first game as head coach at Cincinnati, but, uh, you know, I still thought that it was really, really cool to, to get to see him in one of those first couple games, uh, taking his first steps uh, with this new role. What was your impression of Cincinnati? What was your impression of Fifth Third Arena? Uh, just overall, what were your takeaways as you were getting back on the plane to head back home? Man, listen, let's just start with me getting off the plane. First of all, it was cold as yeah. heck. Um, <laughs> so, you know, coming from North Carolina, you know, I'm thinking it's getting a little chilly here, but I can't imagine what, what those, you know, winters look like up in Ohio. But, um, you know, Wes always talks about how, you know, he's a blue-collar guy and how everybody at Cincinnati is just grinding it out. And, you know, I really got that feel right off the plane, you know, as we're driving, driving to campus, um, you know, didn't get to see a ton of Cincinnati, but you know, it, it felt like that, right? Like it felt like a, um, like a working town and getting to the university was awesome. Getting to see this campus right in the middle of the city. I thought it was beautiful. Um, and then kind of getting into the arena, 
getting into the game flow, watching the guys warming up. And then obviously throughout the game, I was just super, super impressed with, with everything going on here at, or going on there, excuse me, at the, at the University of Cincinnati. I thought that Fifth Third Arena was awesome. Uh, Tyler Hansborough and I um, were, were sitting next to each other and we were just talking about how we wished that we would have had an opportunity or more of an opportunity to play in arena or to play in a, our home games, let's say, in an arena like that, right? Okay, everybody loves the Smith Center, 23,000 people, huge place. But man, we just love the atmosphere of having, uh, I don't know exactly the number, 10, 12,000 people kind of tight in there um, and, and really feeling that energy. So the, the energy was great. Um, the team, in, in my personal opinion, played, played a great game. Um, and so I was, I was super impressed. Honestly, I, I really enjoyed um, everything about that experience. Um, and I certainly hope it, it's not going to be the last time that I get to come to Cincinnati to see a game. Official capacity, 12,012 to honor number 12, Oscar Robertson. Oh, wow. That's awesome. It's a good little note. I like that. <clears throat> so, Marcus, you know, you mentioned it was Wes's second game. You and, and Hansburg were there. Kim Record, who was his athletic director at UNCG, was there. He had some friends and family. There was like a little cheering section in the in the press room after the game. I mean, I think anyone who knows Wes kind of gets this sense, but doesn't it speak to who Wes is that – his second game in Cincinnati, that many people show up to, to support him. I mean, you guys didn't waste any time getting out there to see him. Absolutely. And um, I'll just throw this out there. <clears throat> Another good friend of ours, uh, Preston Puckett, he was the uh, head manager at uh, University of North Carolina for, for a time. Um, him and Wes are, are good friends as well. And, and he's got two kids in Denver, um, and he flew out for the first game. And so, again, um, uh, to your point, I just think that it, it, it says a lot about him, not only as a coach, but just as a player, uh, a person, excuse me, just family, right? That, that's something that means so much to, to us uh, coming from Carolina. And I think that that's going to be one of the things that they, he continues uh, to bring to his programs and, and is going to bring to the University of Cincinnati is just, you know, the sense of the family and pride for, for being a part of the program and, 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 and keeping those former players around and, and really cultivating that, that type of culture um, within the program. But again, to your point, that, that's just kind of who he is as a person, uh, somebody that, that cares deeply about, um, you know, other people and, and especially his players. And I think that, um, I mean, all the fans and, and the university, uh, I think everybody, and I, I know that they're happy already, but I mean, that should just be super, super, happy and, and, and proud to have somebody like, like coach Miller taking, taking the reins. Yeah. So let's go back to him as a player. I, I did a, a piece on Wes and talked to Sean May and he said that like no one on the team treated Wes like a walk-on. And he said a lot of people probably didn't even realize Wes was a walk-on. So you came in his junior year after those guys won the title. Did you know when you got there that, that Wes was a walk-on and what were just kind of your general first impressions of him as a, as a player and a teammate? Um, you know, I, you make a great point. Um, I knew he was a walk-on, but um, I, I think the vast majority of people, had they not had a, a real understanding of, of the dynamic of the team, w would not have known that. Um, I mean, there was nothing about Wes on the court that would have told you he was a walk-on, right? Like, absolutely nothing. Um, and, and he was just a guy that, that really led by example. I mean – from what I remember, maybe somewhat of a vocal guy, but but just a guy 
And it's funny because again, you know, me and you know a couple of guys that that, that went to school with with Wes and have stayed pretty close to him. You know, we, we talk to him fairly regularly, pretty much every day. And, and again, one of the things he's always talking about right now is how he's just grinding it out, right? Like uh, he's just working so hard. But he is, and that's exactly the type of player he was. You know, he was the guy that was always in the gym, and that is like no exaggeration. The guy that was always in the gym, always working. And it showed so clearly on the court as well. And, um, I mean, that's just one thing that I'll never forget. It's just, just the way that he he worked, his work ethic, you know, and, and everybody might have counted him out because he was a walk-on and he was small and all those other things. But, but the guy just really worked harder than anybody else and just played harder than everybody else. And, and he was able to achieve some, some great success those two things right and not to say just those two things as if they're easy but um you know he really just laid it all on the line and and that's something i'll never forget about him as a player is he as good a shooter as he says he is he he challenges Uh, everybody to a shooting contest right now i I can't tell you i don't know what he's been doing (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure he plays golf a lot better than he shoots right now but uh, to be fair, when 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 he was in school, I, I don't know anybody that that shot better than him. All right, we'll take that. He does. Anybody he sees, he challenge like he challenges him to a shooting contest. I'm sure after he hears see. this, he'll probably challenge me. <laughs> <laughs> but you gave him the credit. You gave him the props. You said he was yeah, the best for shooter. For sure, for sure. <clears throat> um, could you tell back then that he was destined to be a coach? I know he's talked about having that conversation with Roy Williams when he was, was being recruited as a transfer that he wanted to be a coach. Could you guys sense that, that like he had some coach in him? Honestly, I don't ever remember having a conversation or even hearing that he wanted to be a coach when he was in school. Um, you know, but in the years after he graduated and after he finished playing those, those couple of years that he played um, over in Europe and um, you know, getting to see him, you know, start to get into coaching. Um, it didn't take long for me to, to, to realize like, oh man, yeah, perfect, perfect fit. That's going to be, a, he's going to be a great coach, you know? And then um, again, just over the years, really starting to see him get that momentum and catch his stride and, and kind of, kind of get into and, and, and get molded into the, the, the coach that he's becoming now, you know, you, you could see that happening. Right. And um you know, that's just been super, super exciting to see. But uh, I'll tell you, in school, I never thought about that. I never thought that that's the way that he wanted to go. Um, but certainly after the fact, um, you could definitely see that it was going to be something that he was going to be super successful with. I know the decision's been made, and you guys at North Carolina are family. You're no doubt behind Hubert Davis 100%. But was there a little bit of you that was like, I want, I want to see my guy get his shot to, to be in that lead chair? There was a lot of me. I mean, shit. I, I mean, excuse me. You can oh, say, uh, you can say you can whatever say you want on this podcast. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I didn't know exactly who was in the race for it, who was getting interviewed. I mean, obviously, you know, I knew about as much as anybody else, you know, and, and hearing online, that, you know, maybe Huber's going to get it or maybe this guy or that guy. And, um, you know, uh, obviously knowing Wes, we, we, you know, we knew that, that he interviewed for it. And so, I mean, I don't know what part of me, but man, a, a lot of me wanted him to have that job, right? Like, of course, 
Um, now, to your point, again, super excited and, and happy about Hubert. And, and honestly, I think that that's um, a, a great, great decision. Um, but if I'm just going to answer your, your question, frankly, yeah, absolutely. I wanted to see him uh, get a shot at that. And we'll see what happens. I don't know. Um, you know, I certainly don't want to look too far ahead because, again, he's got this wonderful, wonderful opportunity, you know, right in front of him right now that I know that he is absolutely pumped about. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's hard not to think about what that would have been like and, and what that could be like, you know, for, for him to come back to North Carolina super selfishly as a as a former teammate of his and, and you know, as a Carolina guy. But, um yeah, I wanted him to be there, but let me tell you right now, again, just to make sure I clear the air about this, um, I, I know he's super happy about where he is, and we're yeah. super, super happy about where he is. And uh, I'm just really looking forward to, to seeing him take Cincinnati to another level. It, it's funny because, it, you know, Cincinnati inherited a lot of North Carolina fans because of Wes when he got hired, and Cincinnati fans are now big Hubert Davis fans because they want him to stay oh. in Carolina for a long time, so, so Wes doesn't. <laughs> doesn't move over there um you mentioned coach Williams I mean he seems like the kind of guy talking to Carolina people that he has a special relationship with everyone that he coaches but there's obviously a connection with, with him and West could you tell as a player that maybe the relationship they had was deeper or on some different level than, than maybe he had with other players or was it the same you know it, it's, it's hard to say because to you know like you said he's got such a special relationship with everybody right so it's even it's it's difficult to look at his relationship with somebody else, right? Because you're just thinking about like how special it is for you, right? So it, it doesn't necessarily look special with somebody else because what you have with Coach Williams is so special and so unique and and so specific to you. So um, all I can say uh, about that specifically is just tell you about how I agree with you and think that Coach Williams has amazing relationships with his players. And um, knowing that those two have a, a, a close relationship that continued, obviously, after he graduated and, and obviously, as the, you know, he became a coach and, you know, they had that changed in their relationship, you know, now having two coaches and being, I mean, he was always like that mentor, but obviously now you're in the same profession, let's say. And so that mentorship even kind of changes a little bit. But, I mean, I can just speak to you uh, about the type of man that Coach Williams is and, and Gosh, there's just not, I mean, you, everybody knows it, right? Like, you don't even have to know Coach Williams to, kind of, to, to know, right? Like, a guy that's flying all over the country watching his former players, like, all the time, who's still super, super, super engaged with his current players, you know, when he's a coach. And so, like, just being able to juggle all these things, be, like, so, I don't know, superhero-esque, and then at the same time be, like, this super down-to-earth, humble human being right it's just like it just doesn't it doesn't make sense how all this is possible right but um what an amazing coach man um mentor father figure all fill in the blank man um and so just to have any type of connection with him any type of influence from coach Williams man what a what a beautiful blessing um and so I, I know that that, that Wes will continue to lean on him and coach will continue to, to be a, you know, a great mentor to, to Wes. And again, I think that that's only going to spell great things for, for coach and, and Cincinnati and, and wherever coach, coach Miller is for that matter. Wes has been pretty honest that he's, you know, adopted a, a lot of his coaching philosophy 
or just things he does from Coach Williams. As someone who who knows Wes, but is kind of looking from the outside in at him coaching, can you could you see that on the sideline on Saturday, or can you just tell you know that he's adopted a lot from from Coach Williams? Um, you know, from the sideline, it's funny you said that. One of the things that like I always think about Coach Williams doing is like taking his jacket off and slamming it on the ground. So I saw Wes without his jacket for a lot of the game, but I never saw him slam it down. So maybe it'd be nice to see Wes kind of throw that into his little repertoire, you know, like if he's going to take it off, like wait till he's super angry and slam it down like Coach Williams used to do. Um, but he's, um, I definitely just kind of, I see it in his energy, right? Like even on the sideline and just how he gets so fired up about certain plays. And even when he gets upset about, um, you know, them giving up a, a fast break or I don't know, turning the ball over or something. Um, you see his, you see that energy and that fire and that passion, but at the same time, you still see the love that he has for his players, right? So it's not like, it's not like this fury that's like uncontrollable, right? Like you see how upset he is, but then you also see how he, what he really wants more than anything is to still give confidence to his players and still motivate his players. Um, and, and I just love him being from what I could see from that corner, it's him being like just so dead in the middle of the huddle, right? In the middle of everybody. Like really, even just with that body language, just like, hey, we are all in this together. I'm here with all of you. Like, let's get this, you know, let, let's get this thing going. So, um, yeah, I, I just love watching them over there. Um, it's funny, Bobby Fraser was talking earlier today in our little group chat about how Coach, uh, Coach Miller needs to figure out what he's doing with his hands. He just crosses his hands. He doesn't know what to do with his hands. But um, again, uh, I, I think he's doing a great job, and and I love just his energy on the sideline right now. Um, and I, I think that, but you know, I got nothing bad to say. I got all great, praiseworthy things to say, man. I I just love everything he's doing right now. Um, you, you got to have some good stories, or at least ones you can you can tell. We won't get too too locker room heavy on you, but, but, but give me a good Wes Miller story that people haven't heard yet here in Cincinnati. You know, Chad, I promise you, I've been thinking about this for so long. And like, I feel like all the stories are stories that, you know, you know, like I know, I know Wes so well, man. I, I think I, I started hanging out with Wes when I was like, well, here's a story then. Okay, it's a little more about me, but a little story about Wes. Um, I started seeing Wes when I was like 15, 16 years old. Um, I was coming to North Carolina just to watch games. Like I would drive down from D.C. or right outside of D.C., uh, Northern Virginia, to, to see a Carolina game. And I would show up at his house at like 1 o'clock in the morning and just sleep on his couch. But again, what a guy to be in college and have like welcoming in some little, I don't know, I guess I was a junior at the time or something like that. Just letting me sleep on his couch, hanging out with the, with the Carolina guys, um, you know, before their games on the weekends and things like that. Um, but man, all the stories that I know about Wes. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be good for the podcast, guys. I don't know. <laughs> I don't how, know. We, how much we of that all, group chat is, is you guys just roasting him? We're roasting everybody. <laughs> to be fair, we're roasting everybody. But we do roast Wes quite a bit. Um, and, again, and part of that is for him saying that he's grinding so hard. 
And it's it's funny because he says it so much, but you all know, and we all know that it's true, right? He is just really working himself to the bone, trying to make this thing a good situation at, at Cincinnati. And so, um, yeah, we give everybody a hard time, but I think I think you might be right. We might give him – he probably gets it worse than anybody on that thing. You have been playing, so you haven't been able to participate in this uh, getaway that they that that some of the guys do. I know you're probably looking forward to it now that the playing days are are behind you am, to get to. But there seems to be a, like a legit like him and Hansborough want to take each other out in golf, like you know, aggressively. I think, I think sometimes they want to take each other out in life too, man. It's like a lot of. <laughs> A lot of times in this group chat, I'm the one that just kind of has to jump in and just like spread a little positivity, calm everybody down, let everybody know we're still family. I mean, but again, you know, that just kind of speaks to not only Wes's competitive nature, but everybody's competitive nature. You know, everybody wants to win. Even though we're family, we still want to beat each other up on, on the golf course or whatever we might be doing, you know. Um, so, yeah, that, that's always a good time. But, yeah, I'm certainly looking forward to that trip. And again, you know, it's just, what a blessing to, to have somebody in a position, you know, like Wes, who's, who's, you know, to his, to use his words, grinding it out all the time. Right. Um, in this position where he's got a, a great situation with this, with this new team, but, you know, still, even if it's 36 hours, you know, still cuts out this time for, for, for the people that are close to him. And so it's good to be able to spend time with him like that. Um, and yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to this trip. I, I don't know that I'll be one of the guys taking his money. Um, he'll certainly, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to put any money on this anyway for playing golf. Cause I'm just, like I said to you earlier, Chad, I'm just not, I don't have any business out there betting West on the golf course, <laughs> but, um, but I certainly am looking forward to being, being close to and, and, and seeing that competition between him and Hansbrough and, and Fraser too. I know Bobby Fraser gets out there and, and gives those guys a good run for their money. So uh, it'll be exciting, but we'll definitely have some stories come, come next spring. I, 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 like, I'm sure he wanted to beat Bobby as well, but I think he really just wanted to take Tyler's money. Well, cause Tyler, I think Tyler's the one that's just, he just talks the most trash. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Bobby's up there too, man, but, but I love it. It's great entertainment for the guys who really don't care about the golf situation as much as they do. Uh, so it's, it's definitely great entertainment, but, uh, but I, I just love the fire, man. I love it. Jay, you got anything else? Yeah, Marcus, you mentioned being a DMV guy. Did you know Jamar Johnson at all growing up? I certainly did. Um, I certainly did. Uh, Jamar Johnson is a um, is a DC legend, and anybody who grows up in DC and doesn't know Jamar Johnson, in my personal opinion, never grew up in DC. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I know that you guys aren't you guys aren't gonna. Post this video, but I will just show you guys since you're here with me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had to, I had to get a picture with him. You know, was, for, <laughs> That's a for true me, fan. Man, no, for me, I mean, that, that was a. He, he was certainly somebody that that the people in in the DMV area saw as like. For me, growing up, he was one of the first players that I seen come out of DC, and really get to the highest level. Right, like obviously there were stories about people, but like that was the first person that I saw myself and I was very lucky to, to have been in gyms with him growing up and, and to have a, have a chance to, to, to play with him when I was in high school, you know, in, in some of these summer, uh, summer runs and, and, 
and pick up games and things like that. And so um, for sure, somebody that I looked up to and, and, and somebody that I had a lot of respect for growing up in, in that area. Um, and again, I know that everybody in Cincinnati loves him for his time at Cincinnati, but I mean, I just can't say that enough, man. He is a, a, a bona fide legend in DC and beyond. Did you know, did, did you know flight too? Uh, James, I, not, at, no, yes and no. Knew of him, wasn't, um, I mean, I certainly remember watching him play though. Um, but I don't know. Same age as you, right? Yeah, a little, little older. Yeah. Yeah. But um oh, 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 five, oh, six was his last year here. So okay, yeah, was, like a, like, it was like a year, a year, yeah. a year or two ahead of me or something like that. Um yeah, I, I do remember watching him play, but and not to take anything away from from tomorrow's legend. Yeah, it was just it was a little different. It was just a little different feel, you know, it was a little different feel. Uh, maybe because James was just so close to me in age, maybe that kind of played a part in it too. Um, but to be fair, James was making a ton of noise in the area too, man. A ton of noise. Yeah. I still remember him. I, I remember watching him play. I can't even remember the name of this tournament now that he used to have at the University of Maryland. Um, but I remember playing, watching him play with DC Assault in that tournament. And it, yeah, I just remember him flying, all, literally flying all over the place. And it was unbelievable. Um, so both of those guys, that's crazy, actually. I'm glad that you mentioned that because that's something that I hadn't really thought about. Um, but, yeah, so, yeah, D.C.'s got a nice little connection with, with Cincinnati. We, we had both of them on this podcast at the same time. Nice. Uh, back in the spring. And they nice. – DeMar's, DeMar's the big brother. And, right, and right. James is the little brother in that situation. So have, watching them go back and forth was, was a lot of fun. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome, yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, we can go ahead. We can just say it. I mean, James White, I mean, he's a D.C. legend too, man. Let's be honest. Yeah, I, I don't think – like I, the younger generation, though, doesn't understand. DeMar was like the first of his kind. Mm-hmm. Like what KD is now, like, you know, that – Six eight, six nine, big, smooth guard that played. It, it, you he know, just, he, he took the top off of it. I mean, ask ask KD. I mean, I guarantee yeah. you go ask KD, and he tell he you says Demar was one of his influences. Yeah, and so like uh, people who don't know Demar, um, people who aren't from DC would probably think you were crazy for even throwing Kevin Durant's name out there. But I could not agree with you more. I could not agree with you more. Um, definitely one of the fir- first of his kind. I mean, that I saw for sure. So like that big, yeah. like handle the rock, like shoot like that, like a score inside out. I mean, he was, he did everything. Man. He did everything. I mean, people talk about magic, but magic was thick. Right, right. I mean, this guy's like magic a little, couldn't shoot either. Little twig, man. Right. Yeah, true, true, yeah. <clears throat> true. All right, man. Well, I think that uh, you got anything else, Jay? No, I'm I'm excited. Like I didn't realize we were going to get the the parade of. Tar Heel legends coming through that that quick. I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to see who else, you know, as like a you know college basketball fan growing up, it was it's so cool to see all these guys who you know are probably going to end up at Cincinnati games at some point. Man, man. Well, next time you talk to West, man. I mean, obviously, I'm going to be giving him pressure, man. But but let him know he needs to have his back up for some more games. I, for all I know, listen, my Carolina guys are in the house. He's two and zero. That's all I know. So <laughs> <laughs> you got to think Roy will be here at some point soon. Oh, for sure, for sure. He'll definitely be there. You guys keep your eyes out for him. He will certainly be there. All right, man. Well, thanks for taking some time out for us. We appreciate it. 
Uh, Thank I you tell guys. you to go work on the golf game, but it's it's too late and the range is closed. Yeah, it's all right. I'll get out there, though, guys. Don't worry. We'll be talking about golf next time. All right. Appreciate you, Marcus. Thanks for coming on, man. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Marcus. See ya. Marcus Ginyard, former North Carolina Tar Heel, teammate of Wes Miller. That was cool. Like that, that's it's fun to get that different look because those guys all talk about family and how close they are. And boom, game number two. There they were, right there, you know, cheering on their boy. And I thought it would be a good opportunity. Everybody's everybody wants as much West Miller content as they can get right now. It's too bad we couldn't get more of the good stories. But no, I mean, it's I'm sure he had Hansborough stories too, because if he probably would have told us Hansborough stories. Everybody says Hansborough is like a ridiculous, like a movie character. But no, I mean, I you know, we heard all of this and you know, from talking to people, it's clear that Wes is pretty beloved in that state in general, but just among North Carolina, you know, university people. And it's one thing to hear that, but then to see those guys show up game two and, you know, I, I'm not joking. Like it, it felt like he had a little mini cheering section when we rolled no, into that. The, the, the press, press room was full. Yeah. Well, I mean like family, friends, former colleagues, everybody. So, you know, it, it, it does, I think speak to, to him, but it was just, you know, the, so much got made of like Wes being an outsider, but him understanding that when he started at Cincinnati because of the the Carolina family thing. And I mean, just from anything I've, anyone I've talked to, and I'm sure you're the same way. And and this is another example, like that's, that's been proven true for sure. There was essentially, it was a, it was a full private jet that came up from Chapel Hill. With just West Miller Cincinnati. Fans. Like they all came up together. Yeah. The West Miller fan club hopped on a private jet from Chapel Hill and made their way to Cincinnati. So it was, uh, it was cool to see and cool to get that perspective. And the North Carolina folks have gushed about their experiences so far at Cincinnati. Yeah. They're they're really impressed with the place. It was funny to hear Marcus talk about fifth third because, you know, when Wes was talking about like how impressed he was, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you went to Carolina, like you, you know you what have, it's like to, to right, right. You know, you know what it's like to be, you know, have a, a crazy home crowd, even if it's for, you know, not necessarily like a, a big conference game or something like that. But I guess, you know, you know, kind of the way he described it, it's a little bit more intimate than, than Smith center. Um, it makes a little more sense, like where Wes was coming from when he was talking about that. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, you, when you get in those bigger NBA type arenas, they, they get rowdy and they get loud, but it's not like, you know, 12,000 people right on top of you. Especially like, you know, game one on a Tuesday night or something like that, you know, as, as big as North Carolina basketball is, if you, if if you don't have that place full, it might not sound, even if there are 12,000 people in a 23,000 seat arena, it might not sound as full as 10 in a 12,000 or whatever it was. A lot of the blue sweater crowd in North Carolina, maybe. You know, the, and the, everybody's fan base complains about the, the rich folk that get the good seats that don't make enough noise. Probably more you, of them. Yeah, you would know better than me. Do, do, Bear, is there, do Bearcats have that? Yeah, a little bit. It yeah. Just, it's, just they beer swigging the, Westsiders. They call it the red sweater crowd. They want the red yeah. sweater crowd to be a little louder. Uh, but they, they probably want the more one, of the red sweater crowd, actually. The one thing I think that makes Cincinnati so different is that gets, in a lot of ways, that gets drowned out by the location of the student section. 
because the student section is right there and it's so loud and active that it kind of, you know, like, like Kentucky, for example, they're behind the baskets, but like, they're a good 15 feet from the court, 20 feet from the court. And it, it goes up a long way. So it kind of spreads itself out when they redid the new arena. I didn't like the redesign of the student section, but now that you've gotten used to it, I think it makes a huge difference because they are right there, like right there. So I think it's pretty cool. Uh, We'll go basketball here for a few minutes since we, we started with basketball. We're, we're three games in. What are your, uh, your, what's your overall takeaway so far? Uh, just big picture on the first three games of the West Miller era. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've said, you know, I've been on with Mo, and I feel like I've said this to him, and I feel like you and I have talked about this. It, it's still early, early days. It's still small sample size, but yeah, it's it's hard not to be encouraged if you're a if you're a Bearcats fan, but by, by what you see in the first three games, and I think a big part of that is like something you know, especially last year they struggled with, but the past couple of years was what is the identity of yeah. the program. And it certainly feels like, you know, they, they haven't gotten, you know, Wes is always quick to remind us in the press room after the game, like we're not there yet, but it's pretty clear what that identity is, um, you know, and what, what he wants it to be. And that, that's shown up in the first three games. And yeah, it's, it's going to continue and it's going to be a work in progress, but, uh, and, and it'll probably won't look as good when they play Illinois and, you know, and next Monday, but it's it's there, you know, right away. And and to me, I you know, I think if you're a Cincinnati fan, that's what you're most excited about. I said this yesterday on, or I said this Monday on the the bounce, and I'll see if you agree with me. It feels like he's threading the needle that most of us felt was going to be impossible to thread, which was keeping the defensive intensity, toughness, rebounding the pillars of 30 years of Bearcat basketball and incorporating more pace, more tempo, more of the modern spread the floor, you know, uh, offensive style of basketball, because that's what everybody was asking for, right? Like, well, we, we, we still want to be Bearcats, but we want to be modern day Bearcats. And they got a glimpse of it for two years. And I don't think they liked it very much. Wes looks like he's got the ability to kind of merge all of those things together, which I didn't like, I didn't know if there was somebody out there that was possible to thread that needle of giving the fan base, the style of play that they were used to in a more modern uh, iteration, I guess. Yeah, no, I think you're right. You know, I, I give Wes credit. What is every coach in the country before the season like? Oh yeah, we, we want to play with pace. We want to get up and down. Yeah, we're gonna play. Mick fast. used to, yeah, Mick used to say it, and Mick probably said it like tongue in cheek because every year that's what people wanted, and you know Mick would be like, yeah, we're gonna play a little bit faster this year, and then they would pound it for twenty seconds and give it to Jaron, and, and Jaron would score late in the shot clock. We're gonna play faster this year, and it would mean they jumped in tempo from three thirty six to three twenty two. Right, and Wes was like basically the way he didn't even say it like we're going to play fast his thing was kind of like i'm going to let guys play on offense I, you know you have to play hard on defense you have to fulfill your assignment but if you get out and you make a turnover or you jack a three a little bit quicker than i might like like i'm not going to be yanking you out you're not going to be looking over your shoulder and he's right 
like, you know, we've seen instances where they come down and, you know, JD Jack's a three or Mason Jack's a three. And it's like, you know, that's, you know, not the shot he wants, or, you know, Mikey threw a pass the other night trying to start a fast break and it got intercepted. And it's like, of course, it's not what you want, but he's, he's right. Like if you play defense, I'm going to let you play a little on offense. I'm going to let you make mistakes. And I think that is what has helped them play fast and kind of encourage them to play fast. So I give them credit. Cause a lot of times when coaches say that stuff before the beginning of the year, it's they it's don't like mean it. half. Yeah. It's a lie or it's a half lie. And everything he said was, you know, at least so far has been true. Are you a little worried with some of the defensive stretches? Like uh, what I've, I wrote about this today in, in, in my article on the game. I, I'm a little worried that we've seen teams be able to go on these stretches where they put together 70% shooting for eight, 10 minutes, right? Um, I've been impressed with the fact that for the most part, on the fly, they've been able to take the coaching and fix it. But when the level of competition ramps up, it's like you're not going to be able to survive, you know, eight, ten minute stretches of letting a team just score every time they come down the floor. No, you're right. And that's why, like, you know, I think the Illinois game is going to, you know, expose a lot. And, and you can probably say that about some other games like, you know, that not to take any away, anything away from Evansville and Georgia specifically. I mean, Alabama A&M's one of the worst teams in, in college basketball, but right. You know, th- those, those two teams aren't terrible teams and, and Cincinnati had those stretches. I think to your point, and I kind of asked him about this, I guess, Tuesday and m- maybe kind of the way you're phrasing it actually makes sense. It seems like when they, when Cincinnati goes on those runs where they start getting steals and they have those 12 14 runs, it feels so like blitzkrieg. And maybe that's because that's when it clicks for them you know, that's when they're like understanding the the defense. And so they're able to kind of hit these opposing teams off guard and, and make a quick strike of it. Whereas, yeah, that's great if that happens, but probably what Wes wants is he wants it to be a little more consistent. It doesn't have to be 14-0, but you know what they're doing in that 14-0 stretch, like that's the defense he wants them to be playing consistency. And so when you're seeing the opposite of that, that's when you're seeing like, you know, whatever Alabama A&M started the game, you know, shooting over 50%. It's like, cause that's, that's when it wasn't quite clicking yet. Yeah. I've I already wrote Jalen Johnson down as my, one of my preseason or uh, early season, all Americans. <laughs> he looked like it. He looked like it uh, a number of times last night. And I, you know, the other part too is it's, you know, he keeps saying like, he's not sure what the, the rotations are it's pretty clear he doesn't totally know what his rotations are yet because they're constant. Like he's got 10 guys playing double digit minutes. He'll probably play 10 guys, but not, you know, kind of with the equality of minutes that, that they're getting right now. So I think that's another part of it too, is he's trying to figure out all these things that I want to do, who can actually do them on the floor, which is why, what was that? The, the Georgia game, right? Where he was, it's funny that he went to Koval at the end of the game where he was like, I, I know what they're doing and I know Hayden can drop and defend the downhill pick and roll the way they're running it. You know, right. he knows that cause he knows he played, he coached Hayden last year. So I think he's, he's starting to try and figure out what are the groups of five guys that I can play together, knowing that they can execute the, the way I want to. Um, and I think it's, you know, we're going to get to that eventually. I just, I don't think he or anyone else totally knows what that is right now. 
Yeah, that's been interesting because we've seen some lineups that he's thrown out there that I know we've kind of like looked at each other on press row like we're trying this. And there's been several times that it's sparked runs or that, that it's been yeah. a part of runs where it's like, okay, uh, I did not see that being a successful grouping, but he obviously saw something that we didn't. Yeah, like the, the Koval thing I thought was interesting because I was kind of like, huh, I wonder if Koval's going to be his crunch time, you know, big or rim protector. But I think the truth was he just, in that situation, what Georgia was running, I know you can stop this, so put him in there. And I don't think it'll always be that, like, you know, fly of the moment. Okay, here's what they're doing. I'm going to put a guy in to match that. But it was just interesting that he was thinking about it that way because I, I was a little bit surprised. But when he explained it afterwards, it, it, it made total sense. That's something that also I want to touch on. He's awesome in post-game press conferences. Like, usually you get nothing from a post-game press conference. And maybe this will change over time, but he's been a head coach for for 10 years. He's been doing that. You know, this is year 11. I, I don't know that it will, but, like, you feel like you learn something about what, makes him tick and maybe it's because it's new that that i feel like this that, that it feels like you learn something about the way he thinks the game in every press conference and there's not many coaches you can walk away from a press conference feeling like that yeah i agree i also agree like let's let's have this conversation again next year and, and the year after and see if if we still feel that way but but it just goes back to you know, a, a big reason he got hired and the bigger thing you hear from everyone is, is his personality and like the way he just interacts with people. And for the most part, you mean that on like a coach to player or coach to recruit or just, you know, person to person level. But for him, I think it extends to he's, he's good. He's good on the radio, you know, after the game, he's, he's good in the press room with us and yeah, it's still all new and they're three and O. So, you know, we'll see after they lose a tough game or he gets pissed off at some question I ask or something like that. But so far, I, I, I totally agree with you. Um, looking forward, interesting week. I know they're worried about Presbyterian. Um, I know they feel like they've got two guys that are really good. Should, are we going to have the Presbyterian? Like, does, does Wes understand He's I don't know if he understands. Does he understand? Not as yet. Not as much as the fan base. Triggers Bearcats fans. Can't lose to our religion. Can't lose the toothpaste. That's what I said in the press room yesterday. And had somebody look at me like I had five eyes because they didn't understand the reference. Can't lose to our religion. Can't lose to a toothpaste. Um, no, I don't think he knows fully. Maybe maybe I'll we'll tell him tomorrow before the game. I tell him after. Okay, we'll tell him after. The blue hose, significant, significant meaning here in the city of Cincinnati. Um, but then you you find out what this team's about Monday. And by the way, you're invited. Monday, Holy Grail, basketball watch party. The Holy Grail is normally closed on Mondays, but they are opening to host the first BCJ basketball watch party of the year monday 6 30 as the bearcats take on the fighting illini in kansas city so if you'd like I to will, stop by you're more than welcome i mean air travel pending I'll, i'm supposed to be in kansas city oh okay i have not well, had fine. the best luck never mind 
Yeah, no, I've not had the best luck, so I might show up. But uh, there's no direct no, flights to Kansas City, so who knows where you're going to be spending the night? Yeah, that is that is true. I don't know where I can't even remember where I'm laying over, but I should probably check the hotels near the airport because I might get stuck there. Um, but no, you're right. I mean, Monday will be. I mean, I, Illinois didn't look good against Marquette the other night, but they're getting Kofi back, and yeah, it's it's going to be by far the best test that they've they've had so far. And then you know potentially either Arkansas or Kansas state, Arkansas looks really good. Talk about another triggering right. uh, <laughs> situation seeing, for Bearcats. Seeing Moss on the other sidelines, might people might legitimately go into convulsions uh, if that were to come to pass, but me, it's, it's a big opportunity. Good. It's a big opportunity for the Bearcats. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it sounds silly, but like even you know, I don't necessarily expect them to win that Illinois game, but I think we'll learn a lot by how how well they play them. Um, and just kind of how, how well all the things that they're trying to execute and have at times in these first three games, if they're able to do that against a team like Illinois. And a team, you know, and Arkansas or Kansas State, you know, Kansas State's if you, the the weakest of those those three teams that they could potentially face, but they're I haven't looked at Ken Palm, but I have to imagine Kansas State's higher, ranked higher than anyone else on Ken Palm that they've played thus far. Yeah, they, they have to be higher than Georgia. Well, I'll, I'll look while I, I have a question for you. Who is, because I, I have my answer and yours might be the same. It can be a returning guy. It can, it can be a new guy. Who, who's the guy that you're just most intrigued to like see how they continue to progress moving forward? I mean, it has to be Vic, right? That was not my answer, but he is probably the most obvious answer. I mean, if we're just keeping it to that specific question, what he has shown in the first two games and what we heard in the offseason and in the preseason about, like, did you guys have any clue that this, like, uh, Mick Walker compared it to, and this was, this was a great analogy, compared it to a mystery box. Like, you know, that the people buy now online and get sent to their house and it's $20 and nobody knows what's in it. Like, right. that's what they had in Victor Lockett. Now, Wes had seen him with Sean Dwyer over at FIBA's, but he wasn't really recruiting him. So he had just right. kind of seen him play. But nobody had any clue. Well, Mason said after the first game, like, what Vic is my roommate and, like, there was a time this summer I didn't know if Vic was going to play again or, you know, or, yeah. or what he was going to look like. And this, this is the guy so that lived we, with him. That never really got public, but there was definitely about a two week period when he hurt his knee the second time that there was a lot of like, we don't know that he's ever going to be able to play. Again. And then four weeks later, he was in workouts. This so, is also a, a good example of why, like, you have to be careful with stuff you report. Yeah. You know, because you could have easily said on a podcast, like, oh, yeah, you know, Vic might never play again. And right now you look like an idiot because. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was like it was. But it, but you're right. It was like an either or like either this is going to heal quick. And he's going to be fine or <laughs> his career might be over. I'm like, well, that's that's two pretty wild ends of the spectrum. Like he'll be back for the start of official practice or he'll be back by the time we start workouts when school starts or 
he's never going to play basketball again. Like that's the variation there is why you didn't hear from either of us because it was like, well, I, what can, you can't say anything at that point. Like people aren't going to believe you if that's what you reported. <laughs> right. Might be the end of his career, but he might be ready for workouts in three weeks. And he also might be what? really freaking good. <laughs> and, he, and he also might be the most talented player on the team. Um, his touch around the rim and his body control and his lateral quickness for somebody, guys that are that, not only that tall, but he's a big dude. Like he's, he's not rail thin by any stretch of the imagination to have that type of body control, that type of lateral movement. And that type of touch is just not something, you know, you get in big men, especially at the college level. So, um, there are a million answers here because there's so many guys that are intriguing on this roster, but in terms of like what they could become, I think it has to be Vic. Yeah, no, he's like, my answer was, was going to be Odie, but I mean, you're right. Vic in terms of like ceiling is, is the highest Odie just almost for like the opposite reasons of Vic is fascinating to me. Like he doesn't have that natural touch. He's like a baby deer, yeah. but you know, you wonder like if he can figure out, you know, he's still so young and raw and you know, he was a late bloomer in high school. Like if he can figure out how to harness that at some point and you see flashes of it, like, you know, he, he looks like one of those guys who ends up on an NBA roster or gets like drafted in the second round and, and, you know, an NBA team figures out how to like harness that. And, you know, five years later, you're like, Oh my God, how did, you know, like, you know, Giannis is the, alter you know ultimate right. example and he, Odie's not that but it's just kind of that you know example of like he's got all the tools if you can figure out how to how to put him in place like he could be really good too I think the one the the conversation on the board today and I know you on a different podcast compared him to uh young Serge Ibaka but a lot of people like the in his mannerisms the way he runs and the way he's athletic have kind of not that he's going to be this good, not that he's going to be Serge Ibaka good, but like a, like a Dennis Rodman. And then when you watch him run down the floor, when I pictured, I closed it, my, my, eye, my eyes and pictured in my mind what he looks like getting up and down the floor, I'm like, wow, that, that does kind of like look like Dennis. Purple hair dye. And- yeah. Let's do that while he's taking the stairs. <laughs> I'm guessing Rodman took the elevator. Which, or by the way, or, uh, or he climbed yeah. the outside of the walls. That's probably true. Uh, Kansas State's eighty-three on Kempom right now, okay. so definitely Georgia is. Keep scrolling, scrolling, keep scrolling, scrolling. keep scrolling. Uh, see him, but they're definitely higher than Georgia. Ooh. Georgia's one sixty-four. Not good. Not looking good for uh, Creepy Creek. Not looking good. <clears throat> I think somebody, <clears throat> one of their their writers, like, has officially introduced it as like in Tom Crean's final season as the head coach of Georgia. Like, they're they're the heat on the on Creepy Crean is hotter than uh, one of his tanning beds. Not that uh, listeners of this podcast care all that much, but you know who's probably a prime candidate for that job. Jonas Hayes, probably. Over 
Probably. Good luck to him. That's. <laughs> I don't know how you can't win big at that job. I just. I, I don't just understand it. There's so much talent. It, it's it's so one of those where talent. it. I get it. It's a football school, but it should be better than, than what it's been. Like, there's 18 AAU high level AAU teams in Atlanta. Right. Like, I I don't. I don't get it. Even like, like, you know, Georgia Tech hasn't been good recently, but Georgia Tech has had stretches in the past where like, you know, yeah. played in Final Fours and stuff like that. Georgia's, I mean, I'm sure maybe they did years ago, but just not any time in the past, what, 30 right. years? Um, let's get to uh let's get to football. Any any closing Georgia, Georgia's thoughts? good in football. They are good in football. <laughs> but they are not undefeated in football and basketball. Fair enough. True point. So, um, let's get to football. Any any final thoughts to take away from the South Florida game? Uh, I, I just wish this team had that killer instinct that we haven't seen yet and had that ability to, like, keep their foot on the gas I, because I, I I've said have their ability to put their foot on the gas. They put their foot on the gas and then they, they hit cruise control and literally took their foot off the gas in each of the last games this month. And that part I think has been the most infuriating and it hasn't been one thing. It hasn't been just the defense, just the offense. So like it's been a culmination of the offense, the, it, it has been the opposite of complementary football, right? Like it, like instead of your offense goes three and out, so your defense comes out and goes three and out. So your offense goes three and out, and then the defense comes out and gives up a seventy-eight yard, fourteen play, six-minute drive for a touchdown, and, and and it just doesn't feel like what we saw at the beginning of the year, where everything was connected. It's like they're they're both pulling and they're pulling hard, but they're not, they're not what they're not rowing in sync. Maybe that's the right analogy here that I'm searching for in my brain. No, I mean, you're basically said the same thing, which I, I think I wrote this after the South Florida game that they've been inconsistent, but that doesn't mean like they have not been mediocre. They have oscillated between being really, really good and really, really bad. Like right in the same game, you know, switching possessions, offense and defense. The offense gave up 39 yards against South Florida in the first half and then gave up over 200 passing yards in the second half. We've seen the offense go 90-something yards, you know, 16-play touchdown drives, come back and hit a quick hitter for a touchdown, and then have like three straight three and outs or, or mix a turnover in there. Like all these things happening in, in the same game. So, yeah, even in the past they've had – you know how many times the past few years before last year like the offense was mediocre but the defense carried it or even had those games like the the crazy ECU game a couple years ago where like Holton Aylers was playing out of his mind but the the offense is like shooting out with them and, and kind of keeping up and like helping out the defense it, it's it just hasn't you can you can play complimentary football when someone's not playing well but you're right that like they're just completely doing it whether one's playing good and one's playing bad they're they're just finding a way to kind of jumble it up and letting teams 
back in games, even if, you know, the, the Tulsa one was like the, it felt like the game that was most in danger, not of them losing. Cause even if Tulsa scores there, they would have to go for two, but right. of like, they could blow this game. Even yeah. the Navy game, it didn't feel like Navy was going to go down and score at the end. It was a stupid onside kick. And the Tulane and, and USF games, it never felt like they were in danger of losing those games. But you're just like, you should be up 30, and instead you're up 10. Right. I just I, I flash back when coming up with that analogy to when I was younger, trying to learn how to canoe with my dad, right? And he's trying to teach you, and then you're not in sync. And then he's Your ready dad, to like... PJ Flick? Maybe he was, <laughs> he was big on rowing the boat. He loved canoeing back in the day. We used to do triathlons. Me and my dad. I know this is hard to believe, but there were a couple of them that you would, you would canoe instead of swim. Instead of, yeah. It would be, yeah, it would be a long canoe. So then I had to learn like in my teenage years, how to team canoe, you know, and to, to steer properly. And we would we would start to drift or I would screw up, you know, right, left or have the paddle in the water too long. And the, the nose of the canoe starts going the wrong way and would get a few choice words uh, about getting my shit together. <laughs> that's like, just for that. some reason that's stuck in my brain of like, that's how but that's what's happening right now. You're right. Part of me also wonders, like all of this even if fans don't want it to be, it's all framed within the context of, of the playoff rankings. Cause yeah. that's like, it's inevitable as much, even if fans hate it, like that's the way it is. So part of it, I think is also all the things we're saying, I think are true. And I agree with everything you said, but there's also an element that's like Cincinnati doesn't have a loss. Like what with all these other teams, Oregon, Ohio state, Alabama, yeah. you, you almost like accept the loss and then you can talk about everything else because Cincinnati doesn't have that, you then have to pick apart the wins. And I get that's going to happen anyways, because they're the group of five and they have to have the style points, but yeah, it it almost feels like, well, yeah, Oregon, like, Oh yeah, they've done this. They they lost to Stanford who sucks. We know that, but here's what they've done outside of that. And Cincinnati, there's no, Oh, they did this. Here's what they've done. You know, it's just like, well, they should have, they should have beat Navy and, and Tulsa by more than they did. They should have been gooder. (laughs) <laughs> they were good, but they should have been gooder. Right. Um, what was your reaction sitting on press row last night and reading the Gary Barnett quote about not like set aside actually watching the games? Like, let's not talk about watching the games. Let's talk about the other stuff. Part of me, listen, listen to my whole point, Bearcats fans. Part of me feels bad for Gary Barta. Because Gary Barta might be a huge Cincinnati fan. He could be in the room standing on the table like Cincinnati should be third or second or something like that. But then he, as the chair of the committee, has to go out and speak for this you know, group of 13 people and you know, voice everyone's opinion, which isn't going to be the same about every team, but try and make it you know, sound like a cohesive, unanimous opinion. Uh, so it's, it's almost like it's a losing position to be in no matter what. Because Justin Williams having, loves Gary Barta. <laughs> he might be having to give explanations that he doesn't agree with. Um, but that's probably not true because it's amazing how many times he just says something that is ridiculous. It's the exact wrong thing to say. Yeah. I mean, the again, like last week, the the Michigan, Michigan State thing to me, 
is ridiculous. What's the point of them playing each other and Michigan State winning the game if you're not going to rank Michigan State ahead of Michigan with, with the same record? Well, that's what he was defending when he said, let's, right. let's, let's, so you know, you're sending him out there and you're making him, making him say stuff that make, like, I would be in that room, like, look, we got to figure this out because I can't go out there and keep saying stupid shit. Yeah. Like, that's not who I am. Let's, I mean, this is, this is Andy Staples' point. I was just like, at some point, the games have to matter. There has to be a reason you actually play them. Which is why that's the other most are, point for weeks, right? And that's the other point that kind of annoys me is it always comes down to this like, well, all right, if Cincinnati and Alabama played, who do you think would win? Sure, you can do that, but what did people say before Alabama played Texas A&M? Right. What did people say before Oregon played Stanford? Like, of course you can, you know, set a betting line or or make a, a prediction of who's going to win, but if that's the way you're or- judging these rankings, that to me is ridiculous. Oregon didn't play Stanford. That never happened. <laughs> Hypothetically, those, I, Oregon lost to a terrible Stanford team. People, of course, were going to assume we're so that's like that argument gets thrown out a lot, and that annoys me. And then, yeah, just like how you could I, I don't think it has to go in like I don't think UTSA, Cincinnati, Georgia have to be your top three teams because they're undefeated. Right. I'm not even making the case that Cincinnati has to be second in the CFP. I just think the way they go about their explanation explanations are idiotic and they have to know that at times. Yeah. They have to know that he, I don't know if he understood what he was saying in the moment, set aside the games, but guess what? Everyone as mad as it's going to make them, they're going to watch it. They're going to talk about it. Media is going to write about and talk about it every week. And on some level, I don't want to go full-blown conspiracy theory, but on some level, that's what ESPN wants right now. Of course, it's a TV show. Like yeah. We've had that conversation. It's a TV show, first and foremost. But I, I think what troubles me is usually the words that come out in those settings are words that are being used in the room. And that's why it spills over into what he says, because that's the discussion that's happening in the room, which means at some point in time, the conversation of let's set aside the results has happened. Like he said, he said last week when the Michigan, Michigan state thing first happened, he made a quote like, Oh yeah, we went back and forth for 40 minutes trying to decide who to rank first. And like somebody made the comment like, Oh, it's, it's unfortunate. There wasn't a box score, you know, from six days earlier that you could have looked at to to help you make your decision. And yeah, it's the same thing when he said that one too, like either that's a talking point that they have come up with that he's going to use or someone in the room said it. And he's kind of parodying that. I think it's usually that's, that's the conversation that's happening in the room and it's being, it's being relayed to the public as if we're being transparent with what's happening in the room. And instead it's coming across as we're really dumb. We're really dumb. Let, let's, let's set aside the reason. Let's set aside. Let's we're, what we're going to, we're not going to talk about watching the games right now. We're going to, we're going to talk about the games on paper that haven't been played and make them more important than the results that have. 
The only other thing I like, the only defense I would have of Michigan, Michigan State being different than Oregon, Ohio State, and even Cincinnati, Notre Dame, Oregon and Cincinnati won on the road. And that's going to hold more weight than winning a close game where you had to have a furious we'll comeback. What, you think Notre Dame? The, do you think there's a chance? Everybody's talking about it. I mean, honestly, Gary I think there's kind of said no, kind of. I think or there's a better chance. He he said what he said. Not we have not yet had that. We have not yet had that discussion. Uh, I actually think there's a better chance Ohio State with the same record moves above jumps Oregon. Oregon, because I mean, if so, like if Oregon, Oregon loses, lost to Stanford, I, I know. Um, so and and you could you could probably justify, but I I think that's a, a more likely to happen than than Notre Dame because Notre Dame also has the disadvantage of having one less game because they're not going to have a, a conference type. Yeah. But I, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm in the group of people that don't believe a two loss Alabama is automatically out. And I'm in the group of people that would, you know, I will no longer be surprised if it's like, Oh yeah, this week, Ohio state's above Oregon. You know, if, if Oregon goes out and beats Utah and Ohio state goes out and beats Michigan state, I could see them saying like, Oh yeah, Michigan, Ohio state looked better. So we're going to move them above Oregon, even though they have the same record and Oregon beat them in Columbus. I think it's outrageous. I just, at at this point, I'm like, I'm not going to be shocked. How beautiful is it that Tavion Thomas has the chance to go down as a Bearcat legend, (laughs) a a Bearcat legend. It's true. That'll be a name. It, It has a potential. This all works out. And UC goes undefeated. And one of the reasons that they get in is because Utah defeated Oregon behind a big game from Tavion Thomas 30 years from now. There are going to be UC fans talking about Tavion Thomas. I mean, I don't know what time. I'm sure that's a late game on Saturday. Like whenever they get, I'm sure they'll get home and Fick will have a chance to watch a little bit of it. Can you imagine like, if Tavion Thomas is just running roughshod over Oregon, what it would be like to watch that game with Fickle? Am I? I'm interested in your 7:30. Oh, that sucks. That's a 7:30 game. Yeah, Eastern time. All times are Eastern. Yeah, 7:30 Eastern. Wow. Interesting. All right. Boo. Second. I mean, should get home for the second half ish. Yeah, I just that seems like a. I guess it was too good of a game to leave. Not yet. Eleven o'clock to put on Pac-12 after dark. Yeah. What were you going to ask me? Most talented, naturally, physically gifted guy that that Fick has recruited since you've been doing this. Yeah, I mean it's probably him or Wiggins, right? He didn't recruit Wiggins. Oh yeah, okay. So I I guess I was just thinking guys on the team. Yeah, I guess he recruited. Yeah, I think you're right. There were times watching him, we would just laugh. Oh, yeah. Because it was just guys just pinball machined off of him. Ping, 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 ping. Football was never his problem, right? No. It was always the attitude. And, and, you know, this is like, I don't know how much the story's out there. Really rough background. Like, the fact that he's somewhere. He's basically raised by wolves. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I think, like, I think he was homeless for yeah. a certain stretch and it's like the fact that he's at utah now and and doing well is is amazing for him personally but yeah he just they gave him so many chances at cincinnati and he could never 
he can ever figure it out. But I think you're right. Uh, you know, the one that always sticks out to me is that Ohio State game that just went completely sideways. Like there were a handful of guys who looked like they, you know, belonged honestly and like were on the same level. And Tavion Thomas, like he he could have switched jerseys and and fit in on on that Ohio State team in, in that game because they had to use him because what Mike Warren got hurt. I think Dokes was hurt going into that game. Tavion had kind of been in the doghouse before that, and they were forced to use him. And I think he had a fumble on the goal line, which probably hurts, you know, what his stats ended up looking like. But yeah, the the, the stuff we saw in practice, he he could do in games too. He just he never had many opportunities to do it because he couldn't get out of his own way. Sorry, the problem was it was never anything specific. It was like death by a thousand cuts as he was growing up I get asked that all the time like what did he do and it's like there wasn't any one thing no remember I guess it would have had I can't 18 or 19 I can't remember squat fest is that well, what no I, I was talking I, that, that was the one too but I was talking um it was higher ground he like got in an argument got kicked out of practice and then we literally didn't they sent him home for two weeks we just yeah. didn't see it. Like we, we, like the joke was kind of like, do they have Tavion like, you know, in, in a cell back there somewhere? Cause we didn't see him like, no, like they just, and it, what he did, like the last straw was not some major thing. It was just the last straw. Like, all right, you, you gotta, you gotta take two weeks off because we can't deal with you anymore. Yeah. It would be so crazy though. If, if the he has this, oh, yeah. no, you're, you're if totally he has right. his chapter, in the in the book you eventually write about the 2021 Cincinnati Bearcats, would you do a book ever? I I mean, the you're a of it slow. Kind of, the yeah. inside behind the scenes here, you're a slow writer. I am. You're very slow. You're a, you're a very talented writer. Thank you. But the process for you is not. There's not. Well, once you get started, there might be smoke coming off the keys. But the process for you is not a fast process. I mean, if they if they go on a miracle run here, then yeah, you can plan to read my book on the 2021 Bearcats in 2050. <laughs> so did what? Like 20 by 20, like 13. Josh had a 2009 book out. Yeah, I think so. I couldn't. I would have like Four. I would do it and like keep work. Like I would have to quit the beat. Yeah, and write it because there's no way I could do both at the same time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Justin's well, like Justin's last guy in the press box typically. Well, Justin and Brent are usually the last two guys in the press box. Justin because writing takes him a long time, and Brent because writing five thousand words <laughs> takes him a long time. <laughs> um. This thing could all blow up on Saturday. Like, if this team doesn't play better and play more consistent and play better complementary football, which is like Luke Fickle's favorite term, they're in trouble because SMU can move the ball. They do it mostly through the air. It'll be interesting to see if their running back is back full-time they've got a receiver that potentially is is out with an injury but 
Tanner Mordecai is good. This SMU offense is dangerous. Yeah, and, you know, a couple weeks ago, the talk was like this could be an undefeated matchup, and SMU's lost a couple. I actually think that helps them in this game because, like, they have nothing to lose now. I mean, Cincinnati could lose to them and, what, beat ECU and I think still get in the the title game. And, honestly, they'd probably still host it because I think it comes down to – They'd be the higher-ranked team probably. Yeah, but Houston's loss wasn't conference loss, so I'd have to look to see which one of those tiebreakers is first. So I think Houston. No, well, Houston would be undefeated in the conference, so they right. would. So be I the actually think they champion. would. They would host it, but like regardless, SMU has nothing to lose here. Like they're probably right. not. Even if they win, they're probably not going to get in the conference title game. If they lose, like okay, you know whatever. So that that pressure that Cincinnati has clearly felt, and I know that's something you've talked about, like and I've written about it too, that it, it has factored in, you know, they don't want to make it an excuse, but all of this attention and noise has, has weighed on, on the team. SMU doesn't have like that baggage coming in. So what, what is the line? I haven't looked. I, I don't, I just, I'm curious to see what it is. Cause I think you're right. Like I, it, this is, it's, it's definitely a, a dangerous game for Cincinnati because if they have that same inconsistency, those same wild swings of, of playing good and playing bad, SMU's a good enough offensive team and not horrible enough. Like their defense isn't good, but it's not in the 120s that you right. know, they, they could get up and, and cause problems for, for Cincinnati. Cincinnati opening, opening odds, Cincinnati favored by 12 and a half. Total 65.5. Oh man. I mean, that's, as you know, I'm not I'm not a betting guy, but I'm not well, either, but that seems like a lot of points for yeah. like for Cincinnati's defense to allow. That feels like that feels also like seems a lot like a lot of points for them to win by though. Yeah. Well, I the thing is though, I mean, even if they get back to well, it's it's been bet down actually live bet now. If it's down to ten and a half currently, hmm. would you be more inclined to gamble on ten and a half? I'm not inclined to gamble on anything. I'm I mean, if, um, let's let's say you're gambling with 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 Aaron's money, and Aaron doesn't have any money, <laughs> so because he doesn't have a job other than this one, so you wouldn't be gambling. But you'd be much quicker to pull the trigger on ten and a half than you would on. 12 right yeah although now even that we're talking about it, it it almost feels like i guess the wiggins pick six like that was a close game i wouldn't be shocked if it ends up being like something like last year though like maybe it's not the same way where they run all over them but there is some playing down to their competition with this team and they're, they're kind of always has been they're like a um, cat with the with the ball yeah, and so, you know, they're going to be amped for this game. I could see them coming out at home sick of, like, all the inconsistency talk that they hear. And, you know, if they can they can beat SMU's defense and, and that and their Cincinnati defense can, can lock in. Yeah, I mean, I could see them winning by, what was it, last year, 41 to 10? Like, that would surprise me. That would surprise <laughs> me, but I could see them winning by three scores. Well, and SMU was like what number three pass offense, number four pass offense in the country. I think they were like ranked 16th, you know, still pretty yeah. early, but they, that was, you know, they were ranked pretty high at the time. So, yeah, I, I, I guess Cincinnati certainly has to play better, but I'm not going to be blown away if they 
they get their act together and look like they did against Temple or UCF in this game either. SMU is better than both those teams, but still. This is a an SMU team that is not like UCF. They are not – while they are a proficient, prolific passing attack, it's not a parade of go routes, right? Do you worry a little? We've seen the free releases. We've seen the slants. We've seen some of that underneath stuff challenge the Cincinnati defense. Does that raise your eyebrows a little? Yeah, I mean, you know, early in the season when this defense was looking like the defense it has the past few years, they were tackling really well. I feel like the tackling hasn't been as as sure, you know, yeah, in the past couple weeks. So it's, you know, when those crossers come across the middle, you can't have one or two guys miss or, you know, you can't have those runs up the, up the middle of the defense go for 14 yards when they could have gone for five or six yards. So, yeah, it, it, you know, I think from that standpoint, you have to be concerned as a Cincinnati fan because I, I think the defense for whatever reason hasn't, hasn't been as crisp, like you said, the past couple of weeks. And that's, you know, we saw it on that one play against USF. That's what SMU could do is they could take a slant or a crossing route. 70 80 yards if one or two guys who are in place to make the tackle don't make it yeah i mean you're you're dealing with an aggressive defense in some ways but like if if the corner's playing eight yards off and you go three yards and and cut on a slant you're going to be open because the ground to cover is a lot so I'm interested to see if we see Kobe and and probably Arquan a little closer, like maybe not as free release as they have been. When and you and I talked about this on Tuesday at practice, I'm I'm interested to see if they blitz more. I think they should yeah. blitz more. Um, Mordecai know, and, really struggled against Houston when Houston got if Houston had what five sacks in that game. Yeah, and I realize that you know it opens you up and puts your guys. There's less guys in the middle to make that tackle if a guy's coming across the middle. But I just feel like, you know, if you're rushing three or rushing four with with one linebacker, you're you're giving Mordecai and that offense too much time to like make their decisions. Where I think the best thing you can do, you do have good corners. They're you know if you can blitz them, they're not going to have to cover for eight seconds. Ideally, the you know blitz them and, and speed them up and try and force them into those picks where Deshaun Pace can, you know play with his instincts and pick him off or, or Kobe and sauce can prove that they're, you know, really good corners. Like give, give those guys a chance to, to prove what they can do. We don't report on injuries here at Bearcat journal, but what I will say after practice on Tuesday was things were not uh, as bad as I feared by the time the game ended on Saturday night on yeah. ESPN news <laughs> Friday night Friday on ESPN. night on ESPN news sorry I do I think it's I think it's fair to say like there was nothing was season ending right everybody seemed to be accounted for if there yeah. was somebody season ending uh we did not pick it up and yeah. usually we're pretty good on picking it up or you know or, you know at this stage in the season like three, four weeks could be season ending. So, yeah, you know, like there, there wasn't even, it didn't even seem like there was something like, oh yeah, we might not see, you know, maybe there's some people we won't see Saturday. 
you know, we'll see. I don't think anyone's been been ruled out necessarily, but it didn't seem like there was, oh yeah, this guy might might not be able to make it back before the end of the year. So there wasn't nearly as long of a line of guys working out with the uh, trainer 60 yards away from where practice was happening as I anticipated when we got to practice on Tuesday. How's that? Yeah. And that's another thing. Like we talked about this with the, the Vic was an extreme example, but like, you know, I was at the game Friday and I'm watching Jerome Ford and he's fully dressed on the field, going through warmups and like, you know, yeah, the word was, Oh yeah, I don't think he's gonna be able to go, but I'm like sitting there staring at him. Like, I mean, I don't know. I I wish I ever in my life looked that good. So it's, I think there's going to be, and that was a short week. I I think there's probably going to be a handful of guys who, when they wake up Saturday morning, they're not totally sure if they're, they're going to be able to go. Um, But you know, they they will be true game time decisions. You got to feel you got, you got to, you got to, you don't, you're not a prediction guy. I'm not. If you worked here, if you worked here, you'd have to be a prediction guy because we do a staff prediction article. Would you just tell me no? Like, I, like I Dave, Dave just doesn't send it. You'd be like, <laughs> I'm on team Dave. I'm not sending you shit. I'm, I'm not a prediction guy. I, I honestly don't think I'm a very optimistic person either. Um, but I don't know. I just kind of being a sports writer. What is that about? I guess so. What is that about being a sports writer that none of did none of you ever think you were going to be successful in life? Like, where does where does no. the negativity come from sports writing? I'm so like, I don't understand it. You you get to cover sport like radio guys are miserable too. Actually, I'm not going to go that route. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, don't realize don't. this about me. I'm a pretty optimistic guy. I you just are. like to argue. You are, yeah, and I don't I don't know that I am. Um, but for some reason, I feel like they snap out of it. They snap out of their their funk this game. Like again, I don't know that it'll be forty one ten or forty one seven, whatever the hell it was last year, but it almost feels like you know whatever brain machinations they were having to go through to get up for some of these games, like they're not going to have to do this for this one. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I get the whole like, oh, senior night, it could be emotional. Will they be over emotional coming out? I, I think this team could probably use some of that, honestly. I think they like, need over-emotional. Yeah. Like, need I think to, play back. extra keyed up, yeah. I'm, I'm curious here, and this just hit me. You think maybe Indiana and Notre Dame was the problem with all of this? Because they realized, eh, well, we got to hit the gas. We're good. Like, whatever we need, we've got it. Like, we got the, we got the nitrous boost. Like, we can, we can do what we need to do to get it to the finish line. You think maybe that, like, I think that was it. The, the mentality, some. I think that was part of it. I, I think you could argue that the Temple and USCF games were the problem. I think yeah, that, where like, they just hit fifty, like boom. Yeah, I'm like maybe they aren't that team, but for whatever reason, it worked out those games, and so then it was okay. They've beat Indiana, Notre Dame. Now they're smoking these teams. This is what they're going to look like. They're going to run through this conference. Whereas if they would have come out and beat UCF like by fourteen or something people maybe wouldn't have quite the same expectations. So I, I've wondered that if like whatever, like the, they had their good days, those two games in a row right after that, and that became the bar. But I think you're, it's possible too, that it was like, how, how long did everyone hear and talk about those Indiana Notre Dame games? And then they win them. And it's, it's not ridiculous to think that there was like a little bit of a, a letdown or not a drop in focus, but you know, these are, as Fick says, they're 18 to 22 year old kids. They're only human. Um, 
So I could, I would not be shocked. Like I'm not going to be shocked if they, if they lost SMU, but I guess right now I'm, I'm leaning more towards they, they get their act together. I, I'm kind of in the same boat. Um, I, I really want to see, like, this is the first, I guess Indiana could have qualified, but even that wasn't like a, we're going to throw it all over you type deal. This is the first team I think that's, that's, and maybe we'll be wrong. Maybe they're, they're running, starting running backs healthy and he's pretty dynamic. His name is escaping me at the moment. Ulysses Bentley, the fourth, right? Yeah. Ulysses Bentley, the fourth. How could that name escape you? I didn't want to screw it up. I knew you had it on the tip of your tongue. Ulysses Bentley, the fourth, is a pretty dangerous runner. So maybe we will see the Mustangs of SMU try to try to, but he's not like a power guy. He's more it was supposed of a, to be UCF. Like that was supposed to be the team, but Gabriel got hurt. So we didn't yeah. get the full UCF experience. So you're right. I think this is the first team that's going to come in and, you know, Cincinnati knows they're going to try and sling it around. Yeah. Do you think they test sauce? I asked Tony this today on the radio. It's, it's funny. Like I keep thinking a team is going to try to, but. I go back to the Notre Dame again. And I, when I wrote that piece about sauce a couple weeks ago, I asked him, I was like, you know, if any team was going to go after you, it would be Notre Dame because if any coaches were going to know, yeah, sauce is great, but here's actually like, here's the way you can exploit him. It was Mickens and Marcus and they just didn't, they didn't, you know, I think he had three targets. Yeah. They had three targets in that game. One of which he intercepted. Uh, Well, and and I, I, I also think, this is something that not enough people are saying. I think there are probably teams that have wanted to test him more. You know the problem? The guy's not open. Yeah. Because he's so good. Like, I think we've gotten to a point where teams now are just like, that's why he's been able to blitz, right? Because they're not even yeah. looking at him at this point. I think SMU is going to be looking at it. Yeah, I mean, especially if Gray's out, because then they're down. They're number one. You've got still two really good wide receivers, but you can't eliminate one of them, right? Yeah. And only have one of your main guys left because Sauce took him away. But I think the bigger problem nobody talks about is people aren't throwing at him because the guy's not open. I think you're right. I think it's a mix. I think like there are some teams that, you know, Tulsa just, we're not even looking over there. Yeah. There are teams like, I think Indiana, they didn't come into the game saying, we're not going to throw at this guy. They just, when they tried to, whether they actually threw it or just going through the progressions, it wasn't there. I'm guessing SMU is a team that they're not going to just ignore. We're not going to throw at this guy. So it'll be curious to see how many times he does get targeted and how he performs because they're not going to avoid him, but they might end up avoiding him or they might end up paying for it if they don't. The stat from PFF yesterday might be the craziest thing I've ever seen. Do you see it? I I don't know. PFF. They put sauce. out so many. Yeah. <laughs> He's not allowed more than 20 yards receiving in a game this season. 
We are in week 10. That for a number one that basically only plays on the boundary. We've seen him move a little bit here and there, but pretty much only plays on the boundary against the number one guy for nobody to even have had like, you know, a a 23 yard catch at any point in the season is insane. Yeah. There was, and just part of that is because yeah, he does, doesn't get, he's literally the least targeted cornerback in college football. Yeah. And yeah, uh, you know, so no one's had over 20 yards. Cause I think, I think Indiana targeted him six times and that was the most of any team in any individual team. And I think he allowed one catch for 13 yards. Like I think what he's four catches for first downs, like all the pretty much every stat you say about sauce sounds ridiculous. When I was writing that uh, story a couple of weeks ago, I was having one of our editors help me with like some of the stat stuff. And one of them was so galaxy brain. Like I couldn't even, write in a story in the way it made sense but basically like he gets targeted so little that he gets targeted once every eight drives by the opposing team or something. <laughs> it's like teams have what 12 drives a game maybe yeah. so one you know, and a half times one and a quarter <laughs> times a game they're throwing his way it, it's but, it's yeah. unbelievable this is a conversation that we'll probably have a lot later does he maybe go down as the most the best Bearcat ever? It's a it's a good question. It's a tough question. Like when was it? Was that a couple weeks ago on on Tuesday where Fickle made the Sean Springs comparison? Yeah, at Ohio State, and like that one was really interesting to me because that's a, a name I knew from the NFL who was a good player. But it's like, yeah, he he won Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year without making an interception because that's yeah. like how good he was. And so, yeah, it's, it would be hard to make that. You could make that argument now. It'll probably be hard to make that argument in 10 years. Cause people will be like, well, he had like 20 tackles, you know, his senior year or, or something like that. But and it's hard to make that when you have Des, who's going to be a top five all-time winningest quarterback yeah. literally playing with him. Um, but I, I don't think you're crazy for like suggesting it. Is this the week Maje gets multiple sacks? That he's been the biggest. That's been the biggest surprise for me. Like I picked him to win AAC Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, double like, digit sacks. Been, I think we yeah. both picked. And it's been you know you've talked about it. I've written about it. Other people of coaches and stuff. It's not he's has not had a bad year. The hey, stuff I write he's just. Too. I don't yeah. just talk. I write as well. <laughs> um, he's not had a bad year. It's like the stuff oh. he's doing just isn't showing up in, in the raw stats. But even then, I'm still surprised he hasn't had a game with as hard as he goes and as much trouble as he gives offensive tackles that, like, it hasn't resulted in two or three sacks in a game. I think this is – I think he gets two. I, okay, I won't say two. I think it's one and a half. <laughs> one and a half. He's had – he's got, what, two on the year, I think? Yeah, and he's he's had a couple like taken off for yeah dumb penalties, shit. whether it's yeah. him jumping off sides or like something else going on. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. I think it's two on the year. Um, what to right. you is do they win this game because they put up 
45 points? Do they win because they shut down SMU or is it both? I think it's both. I think this is, I'm, I, I haven't settled on a number yet. This feels like 37 17, maybe 37 24 with a, a late SMU. Cincinnati's up, you know, 37 17 and backs off a little in the final six minutes, and SMU gets touchdown and it's 37 24, and we have to hear about style points. Um, but for this group, senior day, I think the urgency is there. I think they've been waiting to get their juices flowing in this particular fashion again for a long time. Um, I think this is a game where they, they take control a little bit early and it's, you know, for a 14 to three first quarter or something along those lines, maybe a, a 17, 10 or something like that um, where they've got a little bit of, you know, you're in our house. I think Nippert's going to be, especially this is like, this is a half nip at night, right? Yeah. It's it'll not be, nip at it'll night, be nip it but it'll be dark half at halftime. Half it'll be dark at halftime. Right. And if the game is, is, is in question, that place is going to be electric. Cause I think there's going to be a big appreciation for this group of guys. Like no matter how this be. ends, no matter how this ends, what this group of guys has done, specifically the seniors, specifically the seniors, I think I think they they come out focused and they come out dialed in. It is interesting, like you said, SMU really doesn't have any pressure. Yeah, that definitely is in their favor, I think. So we'll see, but. Man, when you look at the like Houston's the best defensive, the best defense that offense has played, and Houston's at like 36. And the next best is in the 60s. And most of their opponents are in the hundreds. You know how hard that is for most of your opponents, defenses to be in the hundreds when there's only 139 teams. Right. Like that's pretty difficult. So I don't know. You think we get any surprises? Before the game. Meaning senior day walkout. Like Darian Beavers oh, last year was like guys who don't walk. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I would say if a guy walks, don't just assume that that means he's he's done because you know, Fit kind of alluded to it. Like some of these guys want to walk because it's it's their class, it's the, the guys they've yeah they've been with. But and I, generally some of them don't know because some of the guys who walked last year, Kobe, Marcus Brown, I know Curtis Brooks. What I'm asking is, is there anybody that's like, look, I'm I'm rolling, I'm running it back, like Beavers said, either right. way. I the difference there, I guess, would be knowing the backstory on that. And we've talked about this a little bit. Beavers initially didn't want to play last year. He, he wanted red shirt. Yeah. He was going to opt out and red shirt last year because he thought this year was his year to really like be at his peak performance, which he has well, been. He, the opt out started becoming a thing with, with COVID, 
before right. they gave the year. And so, he, right. you know, some of these guys were doing it like, I'm going to opt out and then I'm going to go in the draft. He was like, I'm going to opt out so I can make sure I basically get a free extra year. And then they right. ended up doing like actually giving that. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I I definitely think we're going to get some super seniors, whether we get any of them who, you know, basically pull the Darian Beavers and, and don't walk on Saturday. I don't know. Like, I have would some... Be your- who would be your candidates? Let's let's discuss. That's what these podcasts are, are for. Yeah, these are purely. This isn't like us hinting. Yeah, this no. isn't us hinting. This like I could see Vinny, I could see Vinny McConnell coming back. I could see Javon Hicks coming back. Wilson Huber. I could see Wilson Huber coming back. Wilson Huber, like he just feels like I could see him playing and he played football forever. Yeah. yeah. Um. Who, maybe Jabari Taylor. Like, yeah, he seems like one who, he, you know, so again, I, whether any of those guys don't actually do it, those are all guys that to me seem like could be here's prime, the ult- super senior. Here's candidates. the ultimate question. Malik Van. I bet I, I would be surprised if Malik doesn't walk, but I think he's going to have that Malik walks. Yeah, yeah. he's going to have an interesting decision. He'll have a very interesting decision to make. Um. And then there's like, so what isn't like, isn't Wiley technically a redshirt junior? Wiley's a junior because he didn't play his first year because he was right. Lenny. Like, Lenny's technically a senior. Yeah. But I like, I'll be, I'll be curious if, if Wiley walks, you know, for kind of the opposite reason of what we're talking about. But if he's just like, I know I'm going, it's my fourth year. Uh, like, I don't, you know, Sauce is a true junior. So I don't know that they'll like let him walk, but. Maybe they let Wiley walk since academically he's a he's a senior. You let the uh, sauce walk if he wants to walk. The Mamadou Diara, as uh, as we can now call it. Um, you let Sauce walk if he wants to walk. If Sauce yeah. wants his mama there for his last game as a Bearcat, <laughs> you let Sauce walk. Like, fair look, enough, fair enough. There's there's no mystery. There's no drama with Sauce. No. That that's that's he's a gone. rap. Yeah. That's 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 Vince Carter. It's over. He ain't coming back. He ain't coming back. It's gonna be it's gonna be an emotional senior day because, like I said, there's a lot of guys that that you know. I mean, the really like Defoe was one of the heart and souls of this thing Wiggins became that, but he definitely wasn't right away. And then he had the injury that took him away for a year. He wasn't wasn't a fickle recruit. recruit. Right. Right. Um, I mean, Mike Warren was uh, a cornerstone. He didn't, he didn't walk on senior day. He he went junior year. Yeah. So, but I'm just talking about the guys that aren't here anymore that really were. Oh yeah, yeah like the core of this thing, there's not many, man. There's not many that are like, this is all that group. Like this is the last hurrah for the lot of the guys that took the field against UCLA because like yeah. at, in the Rose Bowl, that's Jarrell last judge. year too. Jarrell would be yeah, another one. Sure. Like the guys who were in that, you know, especially that first, that shortened fit class, Kobe, Forest, that ended up being one of the row. best recruiting classes in UC history. <laughs> right. Think about that. Think about that. Like you could make that argument 
right along with the the first D'Antonio class that with like Mickens and D'Lo and Barwin and you know that that group. Like you could make a case that in terms of what they produced, you're talking about a recruiting class that had Derek Forrest, Kobe Bryant, Desmond Ritter, you know, yeah, like if you, if you include Des in that, who, you know, they they still have hold to over, right. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. I mean, if you're throwing that in there, then let's pull that, let's pull that class up real quick. And I'm not keeping you for I'm not. I am keeping you for two hours now. You just can't leave. I was just going to say, I'm not keeping you for two hours. All right. Mike Warren, Jarrell White. Will Huber, Kobe Bryant, Desmond Ritter, Vince McConnell, Derek Forrest, Jabari Taylor, James Smith. Hmm. Yeah, maybe you can't. There's a lot of these guys that didn't pan out, I guess. No, RJ Potts the, didn't pan out. The point you're Jaylen making Green. is when, when you look back on, like, this, you know, the, the fickle rebuild. The foundation yeah. was established immediately. Those, those, you know, four or five of those guys you just mentioned were were it. Right. Especially, like, you know, Mike Warren, Desmond Ritter on offense. Kobe, Derek on on defense, James yeah. on special teams. Like that's that's the heart and Jarrell. That's that's the heart and soul of your of your team there for two, three, four years. Yeah. 2018 was was another like monster. And there's a lot of those guys that that have these decisions as well. Leonard Taylor, Josh Wiley, Malik Van, Arquan Bush. That, yeah. Ben Brent. Uh, my J. Chuck, right? Ryan Montgomery is in the 2018 class. <laughs> Technically, that's him and him and Arquan are the ones that just because Arquan Alec came Pierce. on and Alec, yeah, Arquan played those last couple games. You know, he had that big pick six in the last couple games of his true freshman year, but he yeah, red-shirted. he redshirted. Yeah, it feels like he's been around forever. Like Taj Ward, Jeremy Cooper, Javon Hicks. Was that Dylan O'Quinn? Was he in that one? Van Fossen. That was, I mean, they hit on those first two classes. The hit rate was, and you look and, you know, you've got Michi Harris. It didn't work out. Tavion. Tavion was the number two player in that 2018 class behind Lenny. Um, Deshaun Martin. Yanez Rogers, Blake was injury related. Jay Sean Jackson, who could have been had he stuck it out. Uh, but John Keller, one of your favorites. I don't know why he showed up in like the committed. Like, what are we doing with lockdowns? Come on, people. 2018 hit a lot. 2017 hit. 2017, the hits, hits, yeah. yeah. 2018, there's like there's a lot, there's a lot that hit in 2018. 2019 was like sauce and that's about it. Saw, 
sauce and sauce and I'm interested. Now you got me interested to look at 19 Sorry, to see I if you rolling. This is going to be. Yeah. Good. Well, no, it's not. We're, we're about done. I don't. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trey Tucker. Yeah. All right. Sauce. You know, some of the, like some of those guys might still have a chance. Justin Harris, obviously injury related this year. Yeah. But in terms of guys, Jonathan have, Allen gone, Hawthorne gone, Hummel gone, Holloway gone. Ruffin's still here, but hasn't cracked the two. He has a chance going into next year. Physically impressive kid, 6'6, yeah. 250, 260. Uh, Depend on how many of those guys come back. Yeah. Dingle has Dingle has cracked the two deep. Lindauer left. Jaquan Shepard's cracked the, the two deep. Mindiola, probably not. Phillips has cracked the two deep. <laughs> Brody Ingle has dealt with injuries. Cam Jones. Shepard's the one who, like, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna play next year. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. I mentioned, like, is Arquan the, the – this will be, you know, s- spring and summer conversations. Is Arquan the one that goes out to the boundary? Does Where does Arquan go if he comes back? Like, I think right. that's going to be really interesting. But, eh. All right. We're rambling now. We're, we're, not, we're not discussing anything relevant anymore. We're on a tangent. And I want to get I want to get you out of here, so we're not two hours. Uh, we're not the end of my green yeah, tea. You reach the end of your green tea. Uh, we're not going to go two hours and thirty nine minutes like the BBP did Monday. <laughs> you would hang up on me at some point in time. I know. Yeah, I I just wouldn't make it. Yeah. <laughs> the one who would you you would be with the BBP question? I thought was right up your alley. The BBP the BCJ staff is uh, cheers cast members you would have to be fraser crane right (laughs) (laughs) you would have to be probably probably who were you gonna say i i was not i mean i i've seen cheers but i was that was you're not a cheers guy no i i was i hit seinfeld which kind of came right after it okay but fraser that's probably the right answer yeah i mean that that's like yeah, it would have to be Frazier. It would have to be Frazier. You've seen enough of Frazier to know that's yeah. probably you. Yeah. Okay. It makes sense too with the you know he had the spinoff and everything. Yeah. Um, children's cartoons. You want to you want to give your opinion on children's cartoons real quick? So I, I as as we've discussed, I don't. I'm fortunate to not know Caillou. Right? Is that <laughs> what's called? Caillou. Yeah, yeah. Fuck I don't. I don't know that. I am. <laughs> How have youngest... you not watched an episode just to educate yourself? I just you've you've scared me off of it. I have no. I'm okay. afraid. Like you know, one of my kids will hear it and come in the room and get attached to it. Yeah. No, you so, got to do it when they're asleep. You can't. You can't do it when they're awake. Even then, subliminally. But um, my youngest is like Coco Melon, which is is awful. But like, if if we need her to calm down or something like she coco melon will put her in the um the zoolander trance so that's that's certainly my least favorite um i give my daughter credit i mean she's into all the like princess disney stuff but 
most of that stuff's tolerable um most most of it she does she'll do bluey which you know i know someone's good for and bluey's good bluey bluey you can actually sit and watch with them like you're not just doing something else or on your phone um she's into peppa which I, is is fine I, peppa yeah. pig's fine i don't, yeah, I don't the, have a problem with the peppa accents pig. are cute um so i don't have a ton of complaints other than coco melon is a it's a necessary evil unfortunately yeah we had a couple of those just as long as like they're the the, the six-month caillou stretch i thought about like putting her up for adoption so that somebody else could like like <laughs> you should be able to just like temporarily foster kids and get them back <laughs> if they watch caillou <laughs> like let me know when this kid is done watching caillou and you can when give her back to is me. over yeah, well, this phase is over, and it's she a, moves on to something else. It's a slippery I'll slope. take her back. <laughs> yeah, I'll take her back. I, I like. I want her. I want to keep her. But this Caillou thing, I can't do. Uh, yeah, what Mike Denbrock's reaction when I asked him about Caillou? Bro- Broyles Award nominee Mike Denbrock. It, it was the same as yours. Yeah, <laughs> was, he has the, the same, same vulgar response. <laughs> same words. And you were like, "Oh, I'm never, I'm never even putting yeah. Caillou on the TV, like ever." No. no, that was that was great. We were just talking about it, and he was like walking past us at at practice, trying to trying to avoid us. So he didn't have to come over and yeah. talk to us. And, and but he, he had a visceral reaction to Caillou. I knew that would get him over to us because I, he's got a kid about my. I'll kid say age. he's got to be about Kelsey's age at his kid. Yeah. Probably, so so like it was the it was I knew I could get him. That was my opener. To Mike Denbrock, coach, what? Tell Justin what you think about Caillou. Fuck Caillou. <laughs> I'm like exactly. All right, well, let's get out of here. I appreciate you filling in so eloquently for Dave Simone tonight. I'm I'm sure Dave had a great time um, hanging with Chappelle and friends, but uh, I'm I was honored and, and had a blast talking with you and, and Marcus and. Well, how was it being like a like a guest host instead of just like the guest? Oh, I liked it. All right, get used to it. We'll find you. We'll find you a spot. You you don't have an athletic podcast. Like what would what would they say? Like you just start doing a podcast on the BCJ Podcast Network and be like, look, you guys don't give me a podcast. I everybody's got a podcast now. <laughs> I'd probably say like scroll to page six of the contract that you didn't read. And... <laughs> You're not allowed to do a podcast on twenty like seven sports when they when they pull the cable on. The... And well, the beauty of it is we this podcast isn't we're not on twenty four seven sports because I talked to them about this. And they were like, you know, you're going to have to clean up some things if we're going to put you on twenty seven twenty four seven sports one. You're going to have to keep your podcast to an hour. And I was like, we can't do that. And they were like, two, no cussing. And I was like, well, we absolutely cannot do that. So it's an independent podcast. It is not a 24-7 sports podcast. (laughs) Keep that in mind. All right. That's going to wrap it up. Huge thanks to Marcus Ginyan. That was fun. Like, that that was something a little different. We've gone huge with our guests. I think, you know, Marcus Ginyan was on a national championship North Carolina team. Uh, He knows Wes Miller as well as anybody. That is one of Wes Miller's inner circle guys, one of his closest friends. So huge thanks to Marcus 
for jumping on and, and chopping it up with us. And of course, as always, big thanks to Justin Williams. We love it when you come on to the BCJ Podcast Network. And uh, I got you out of here before two hours. You're welcome. We did it. <laughs> we'll see you next thanks, time. Buddy. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Justin Williams from The Athletic. You can find him at Williams underscore Justin because he wasn't quick enough on the Twitter to get one and only. Justin Williams. The real Williams underscore Justin. <laughs> we'll see you next time. We'll see you Monday. Holy Grail Banks. 630 Bearcats taking on Illinois. We're out. <laughs>